Welcome to the Truth Be Known podcast, bringing you the objective truth boldly, candidly, and without apology. Welcome to this week's episode. Welcome to the Truth Be Known podcast. I'm Nathaniel Jolly. And I am Eki Tepsipornchai. Well, we got an interesting uh, conversation we're going to have today. There was a study that was put out, I think, the 9th or 10th of September, so uh, just a week ago or something like that. Or no, just a few days ago, four days ago. And the study title is really what caught my attention initially. I think Daryl uh, Harrison is the one that I first saw the post from. Yeah. But the title was, Most Adult U.S. Christians Don't Believe the Holy Spirit is Real. Uh, and I thought... That's an interesting title. Um, and then I, I know it obviously caught your attention, too, because I think we both included um, some of that into our introduction and in our sermons last week. Yeah, we, we just found, <laughs> you know, it's funny. We, the, the topics that uh, we choose to talk about are sometimes on a week by week notice. Uh, we, we have some topics that we have queued up, but then things will pop up. And, and this morning, um, you uh, texted me and said, hey, I thought we could talk about this, uh, this study. And, uh, and then my response back was, oh, well, that's perfect, because I, I actually talked about that in my introduction to the sermon this past Sunday. And then your response back was, I did too. So, you know, we pastors, we can be so incredibly predictable. Um, but I, I saw the same thing. It was uh, Daryl Harrison that had posted that. Um, I had retweeted it, uh, something with the comment, of, this is what happens when um, churches are not teaching uh, more than just shallow theology. And, um, and, and it really wasn't just about the Holy Spirit. That that um, report, when you look at it, had just a lot of, I wouldn't say shocking, it wasn't necessarily surprising, but, but it is grieving to the heart um, to see how, how much um, Christianity is getting misrepresented um, to those who call themselves Christians. Yeah, absolutely. And it, sadly, it, that it's not shocking. It should be shocking. Um, and, and we'll talk about the numbers. And, the, and, you know, I'm sure a lot of our listeners have probably at least seen that. And I, I think the, the title, um, the, it, the actual statistic was uh, the fact that the majority of believers did not believe that the Holy Spirit is a person, um, which is crazy, uh, crazy to me. Especially when you think of the largest, you know, quote unquote, Christian represented group is the charismatic Pentecostal group uh, worldwide. And the, the rhetoric is constant. Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, this Holy Spirit, that. Um, and, and certainly the Holy Spirit is a vital person and um, you can't separate the Christian life and walk from the Holy Spirit. But it, it is interesting how few uh, believed that and knew that the Holy Spirit was a person. And of course, you're right. There were a lot of other statistics. Well, let's just kind of jump in and, and talk about these things. I think so. I'm looking at the sheet here. Um, the, the first thing. So this was, uh, you know, they took a polling um, from Christians around. I think it was about 2000 that was supposed to kind of be representative of the Christian body. And I, we should say, you know, at the onset that, you know, we take all statistics with a grain of salt. But they're important and they give us kind of a, a broad and general picture of what's out there. And I wasn't surprised like you with any of the stats that were included in here. But the conclusion that they came from uh, came to rather was that just six percent of professing believers. And this is uh, supposedly one hundred and seventy six million people. Only six percent hold a biblical worldview. Six percent. Yeah. That is an incredibly low number. Just imagine what that must mean for the church in the West if only 6% of everyone who says, yes, I'm a Christian, actually has a biblical worldview. Staggering. Yeah, and, and worldview, well, let's talk about the worldview for a moment. So worldview is everything to us. It's, it's how we know where we get our truth. It includes what we call our, our, our epistemology. You know, How do we know what is true truths? So our worldview is based upon what the scriptures say. We understand that God is the creator. We understand that Jesus Christ is the son of God. We understand why he came into the world. And we understand the nature of mankind that, that led to that kind of need. So our worldview should be biblically based. And, and for um, this, uh, the, the one who is compiling these stats and, and, and realize just 
just as a disclaimer, the, the 6% number was in the opinion of the person who was pulling these stats together. Of course, mm-hmm. you could break that down and ask, okay, well, what do you mean by uh, biblical worldview? But when we see a lot of these other numbers of what Christians uh, believe and, and deny, um, I don't think that number is that far off. And, yeah. uh, and, and if it's and if it's only 6% that actually have a biblical worldview, that would tell me that there's only 6% that really understand and believe their Bible. Right? So, yeah. and, and so that's, that's the biggest problem of all this. And then when we talk about, you know, not believing the Holy Spirit, well, you know, you, you don't believe in the triune God. Um, you, yeah. you don't believe what the, what the Bible said. When Jesus says, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the singular name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, that, that's three in one. That's where we get the word Trinity. It's triunity, even though that word doesn't show up. You see it in verses like that, where you have three persons um, all constituting uh, the same essence of, of God. So, yeah, the, these statistics uh, are alarming, and it should cause us to really question, okay, well, what does that mean when someone says that they're a Christian? And, and I've gotten to the point, and I'm sure you have too, that when someone says they're a Christian, I don't automatically assume anything yet until I've had a chance to ask some questions. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, in today's world, um, it, it, words like evangelical, Christian, reformed. I, I mean, there's just a ton of words that in all honesty on the surface, just they'd mean nothing anymore. And that's sad and that's unfortunate. And so when someone says they're a Christian, I think that's great. Now, tell me what you mean by that. Um, you know, define that for me. And, and it's especially interesting because I mean, just an example from this past week, uh, which I shared with the church and I have conversations with um, I, with guys from our community pretty regularly because we uh, we we have a difficult community and a lot of folks that are 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 extremely antagonistic against the faith here. Um, and it, you know, I ran into someone who professed to be a believer, and we had a conversation. And one of the first things that he said is, "You just can't operate with absolute truths because people will get hurt." Um, and, and of course, you know the the and he, he talked about how he had a Baptist upbringing, and then you know you go on in the conversation and you find out he hasn't been in church years, doesn't read his Bible, he's not submitted to any elders, he's not actually really Christian, right? Um, and 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 even in his language, you notice that he, for him, he said he still has his faith. Um, and now I'm happy he didn't use the term Christian because he's not, uh, but a lot of folks do. And, and you made a good point when we hear numbers like 6% and we think, well, how, how do they know that? Okay. Uh, like I said, we take stats with a grain of salt, but so what if it's off by half and it's 12%, right. um, add another 12%, add another 50%. It, it, if only 50% of Christians had a biblical worldview, that should be appalling, right? Um, and and so a number that low is is pretty significant. Now the study went on to say that um, the majority of the people polled believed and and professed that God was all powerful, uh, that He was all knowing, that He's the Creator of the universe. Those are all great, right things to believe. But then more than half, more than half, rejected the existence of the Holy Spirit as a person. Yeah. Um, I, I wonder, I, I think that ought to just be an alarm uh, going off to demonstrate what is being taught or not being taught in churches, right? right. right? Yeah, and, and, and that's, that's self-contradicting, right? So, I mean, if we believe that God is good and all-powerful and all-knowing, well, if he's all-knowing, are you suggesting that he lied to us um, in the Bible when he talks about is spirit or is the person merely just ignorant of what the Bible says about the spirit um, or has only been exposed to just enough verses to, to think that the spirit is not really a person. Um, and, and there are, and by, by all means, there are churches that don't believe that the Holy spirit is a person, but will portray the host Holy spirit as a force. Um, the charismatic movement, uh, especially um, will, will treat the Holy spirit with a mysticism that the Bible doesn't treat uh, the Holy spirit yeah. with. Um, so th- there's, there's, Failures on two counts, one, not knowing the scriptures, but then also just not being at a, at a church um, that devotes itself to, to teaching what the scriptures teach about, about God and the Holy Spirit and all that the Bible teaches. Yeah, absolutely. And, it, you know, and so from there, the study goes on to give a whole bunch of talk about, uh, you know, a, a whole conglomerate of other things. One of them was the fact that the majority of these people didn't believe in absolute morals. Um, I, again, 
we have to ask the question, are, are these people even reading their Bible? Um, what kind of God do you serve if you serve a God who has no absolute standards? That, that's not a God I would want to serve. That's not a God you could go to for what's right or wrong. And if you believe that, if you believe that the Christian faith has no absolute morals, no absolute standards, then how do you decide what is and isn't true uh, in life, in your Bible? Effectively, you know, I think it really boils down to the fact that men want to be God themselves. And the only way you can be God is if God doesn't have absolute truths, right? Yeah, if you deny that there is absolute truth, um, well, what you're saying is that um, you're, you're, you now have put yourself in that position of being the arbiter of that truth, right? So we have a bunch of truths, and, and we're trying to figure out, okay, which, true are, are really, which truths are really true truths and which ones can we kind of throw out? And, uh, and, and we're saying that it's really up to the individual it becomes kind of a, a subjective hermeneutics or a standpoint hermeneutics, as we say, where each person is free to determine what they think is true. And, and really, the idea is what's true to them. Well, we, we saw that um, portrayed in the Bible, too. I mean, in the book of Judges, the book of Judges ends in the very last verse saying, in those days, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And that's exactly what happened. So, if you follow this to its logical conclusion, that there are no moral absolutes. And, and by the way, that is a majority of the Christians was 52% um, believes that determining moral truth is up to each individual. There are no moral absolutes that apply to everyone all the time. So that's over half of those who claim to be yeah. Christians saying that. And, and so if you take that to its logical conclusion, um, there's no way that you can guarantee that two people will believe the same truths. Um, but once again, I always bring it back to the courtroom example. You know, if you're being charged with a crime and you're brought before the court and you're standing before your accuser, what do you think is the job of the judge? Is the judge trying to figure out what is true to each person? No, the judge is trying to figure out what really happened, uh, that there is objective truth to the charge that's being brought up against you. And that judge is, if that judge is a good judge, the only thing that he or she would be concerned about is, are the charges true? Not true in one person's eyes and not the other, not, not subjective truth. Um, you know, they're going to look at video cam footage. They want eyewitnesses. They want any kind of hard physical evidence that proves um, the, that the accusation is either true or false. And so if it's true in a courtroom setting, it's true with God who created all things. And so th this is, it's a ridiculous statement. And of course, it's a self-contradicting statement as well, because when you say there is no absolute truth, you're actually making an absolute truth statement. Right. right? So that, so that con contradicts itself on its face. And, and so we, we understand that God is, is a God of reason. Um, he gave us our minds for a reason. Um, our minds are, you know, his, his word is given to us in propositional truths, uh, which means that uh, one truth leads to another. It's logically, it's logical, yeah, you know, and so, um, you know, John MacArthur, a lot of people love his preaching. I, I was saved at that church. He, he is uh, my pastor um, before I came out here, but um, I remember hearing from someone else that uh, someone else who is an engineer saying that with their way of thinking like an engineer, John MacArthur makes a lot of sense to them because he lays it out in a very logical way where it makes sense. And it's not, it's not calling you to believe in something mystical that, that you have no proof of. But that's the way the Bible is. It supports each, each other. It, it, it builds up each, each other. It, um, it, uh, it's an analogy onto itself, right? The, the Bible supports itself. And so the Bible makes a lot of sense. It is, it is logical. And God is a, a God of order and reason and logic. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think this touches on something else e even far more deeper here. I, I do not believe that there is any man who actually believes there's no absolute truth. That's a lie. And let me tell you, I, and, and we can prove this, lie to any person yeah. and they will not appreciate that and they will feel like they've been wronged. Why? Because they, there's just something ingrained in us given by God that all men know there are lines and boundaries that are not to be crossed, right? Um, wrong a man's family, no matter what, what his worldview is, he'll know, right, yeah. th that there was something inappropriate that happened there. And so, every person absolutely 
you know, believes in absolute truth. And so what's going on when we see polls like this? Well, I think this is indicative of men and women who are still at enmity with God, right? They're fighting against not just absolute truth because they all believe absolute truths. They're fighting against the absolute truths of God that they don't like. Um, And so, I, I mean, that's the only way we can come to this kind of place. So, yeah, the Bible tells us that um, men are without excuse in terms of the existence of God. We know that from uh, Romans chapter 1, that God revealed himself through all of creation. We see that around us. But Romans at one eighteen reminds us that man suppresses the truth and unrighteousness. Um, so, that, that's what we see around us. So, I agree completely. I mean, when, when people are trying to deny that there's absolute truth, that God exists, um, in many ways they're denying what God has made evident to them, but they want to ignore that. And the reason why people typically want to push God to the side is because they don't want to deal with his truths. They, they don't want to deal with what God says is good and right and holy and what is an affront to him. And, uh, and people, and there may be a variety of different uh, motivations for that, but ultimately it comes down to a desire to, to worship the creation rather than the creator. Um, and so people want to be able to live their lives according to their own sins. That's, you know, it's so many issues around us. The abortion issue is a big example of that where people want to be sexually promiscuous and not have to live with the consequences. Um, that is the agenda be t- behind the LGBTQ group and, and all that they're doing in, in terms of uh, reforming our sex ed curriculum within the public schools, uh, which is one of many reasons why I do believe that, uh, that parents are better off sending their kids either to a Christian school or homeschooling. Um, so, yeah, we, we see a lot of evidence around us, not only that God exists, but we see that what the Bible says is true as well, that people don't seek God. They turn away from God. They do, they do not understand, and, and really they just seek to do what is right in their own eyes. Yeah, and I, I think we look at these statistics, and it all comes back to that first number, the 6% that hold a biblical worldview. I mean, what, what we see through the, the, this whole research is that the majority of professing Christians are actually worldly and probably just not Christian, right? I, I think that's a fair assumption. Um, it, you know, and, and I know all of us would like to believe that everyone who says they're a Christian is a Christian, but that's just contrary to the teaching of Scripture. Um, we understand that the path is narrow. There will be few, right, rather than it being broad and, and many. And in some sense, there will be many because God has saved people in every time, in every era, in every tribe, you know, on the earth. Um, but I, I think we sometimes get this idea where, okay, if you just say you're a Christian, then praise God, amen, you're a Christian. But that's just, um, it, it's naive to think that. And, it, you know, this isn't the only study that gives us very similar statistics, right? We've, you know, I, I'm sure you have too, right? You followed these kind of things for years and years. They're very seldom off by much, when right. you compare them, you know, side by side, you know, so this, the study goes on to talk about, and again, this is just indicative that most Christians, professing Christians have a secular worldview rather than a biblical worldview goes on to talk about how the majority of professing Christians consider that their feelings, that their experiences and that the input of family and friends are more trusted sources of moral guidance than their faith. Yeah, that then scripture, I, right? They, they treat that as their most trusted uh, source of moral guidance, right? Um, yeah, and that, that's a yeah. that's pretty appalling. Speak to that. Yeah, that that I mean, that's amazing. Um, and, and that um, and, and that by the way, that ties into the number that came just before it. That seventy two percent argue that people are basically good. So mm. if people think that people are basically good, then they can trust their own feelings and emotions to to guide them. Um, the problem is. We know the Bible does not tell us that man is good. And, and just, just to, to speak about worldview and, and how we can look at these numbers and, and feel certain that most of these folks are not Christian. You know, when you argue um, that people are basically good and you argue that you can trust your, your own feelings and your input to, of friends and family, you have way too high of a view of man. And if you think man is basically good, here's the question I have for you. What do you think the gospel is? If man is basically good, why did Jesus Christ have to come? Yeah. If man is basically good, why did we need, why did we need a new heart? Um, why was it that during the entire Old Testament period that the nation of Israel would continue to turn away from God despite all that God was doing for them? 
right? And despite all the warnings and all the messengers and in all the ways that he delivered them again and again and again and called them to repentance uh, before finally exiling them. And even after he brought them back, we see at the end of the Old Testament that, that nothing has changed. So if you believe that people are basically good, um, then, then how do you bring the good news to people? What is the good news? And then yeah. why did Jesus Christ have to die on the cross? Well, you can say that he had to die for your sins, but if you're basically good, then you really didn't need that, right? So there's, there's a whole foundational, and this, this ties into a biblical world, uh, worldview of anthropology, how we view mankind and mankind's yeah. nature, um, that, that he is evil, he does turn away from God, and that we do need God. Um, not only to save us, but really to be the proactive party in reaching out and giving us a new heart so that we may understand and actually um, seek him. But when people say that their most trusted sense uh, source of moral guidance is their own feelings and inputs of family and friends, what were the scriptures for, right? Because if that is true, if you could really trust what's inside of you, um, then the Bible did not need to be as long as it was. Um, the Bible could yeah. really just be, okay, now that you've been saved, just trust your gut instinct. Um, but that's not what the Bible teaches. And unfortunately, once again, we get back to what do the churches teach? The, the churches, uh, when we talk about secularism, and I agree with you, this, this shows that the church is highly secularized. But a lot of that are the faults of the churches. Um, yeah. Churches over time have become uh, very driven by methods, um, very seeker-sensitive, quote-unquote seeker-sensitive. There's that term, the idea that we must, uh, well, there's a couple of problems with that term. One, it, it says that we have, to, uh, we have to appeal to the outside world. And two, it calls them seekers when John chapter four makes it clear that, no, it is not man who seeks, it's, it's God who seeks, yeah. right? It's like that uh, meme that I just saw last week that many people say that they found Jesus Christ. Well, Jesus wasn't the one that was lost, you were, right? Uh, Jesus found you, you didn't find, uh, find yeah. him. So all this, I mean, just, just those Two stats that 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 Christians seventy two percent of Christians argue that people are basically good, and seventy one percent say that they they consider their feelings, experience, and input of friends and family as their most trusted source of moral guidance. Tells me they have not learned anything about Scripture and, and truth. Yeah, and, and I mean it's alarming because it, I mean you talk about just all of the you know all of the things that the questions that you've asked uh, are are good questions that really you know, eliminate the possibility that we're good. Um, you know, what's the good news if we're good? And, and there, but there's something more really just that. I mean, first of all, that belief is a very old heresy. It's nothing new. The idea that man is basically good. And because man is good, he can either one choose just not to sin at all, totally, completely, or he can kind of find his own way and path to God. And God almost is obligated to save you out of your goodness. This is nothing new. This is an old heresy. It's been around for a long time. But more than that, if, if we believe that man is basically good, th- then that means Jesus was a liar because he said exactly the opposite. No one is good. So you can't have those two things side by side. And if Jesus is a liar, then the entire Christian faith uh, it has just crumbled. So why do you even need your Bible? Just make up your own religion. Um, and I know we don't really think through the consequences of what we say that we believe, but if you believe man is basically good, then you've destroyed the entire Christian faith just on that basis, uh, because both things can't be true. The Bible can't be true if that statement is true. Now, the Bible is true, and Christ uh, was absolutely not a liar, which means, you know, the belief that man is basically good cannot be true. I know we want to think that, right? But, but again, it comes from having a higher view of man than we ought to have. And we're talking about, you know, moping around, having a pity party. And it, you do get those groups of Christians too. You know, you think of the old ascetic groups that thought they're they, you know, they were so evil, they had to beat the body in the submission and they flagellated themselves in that um, that kind of thing. We're not talking about that, but these statistics are, 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 are really staggering. I mean, they should be eye openers in the church and, and you're right. The fault lies in the leadership of the church. I mean, we often hear and say, you know, as the pulpit goes, so goes the church. And this is true. When I ask what on earth are, you know, pastors around teaching people? Well, part of, Part of the issue is the, and, and I always come back to this because I think guys in our 
circles don't realize how much influence the charismatic, you know, broad term charismatic church has on the rest of the body of Christ. It is still the largest and quickest growing segment of Christianity in the world. Um, that, that that's frightening. And the reason it is makes perfect sense because it produces exactly the kind of things we're talking about. It's very feeling centered. Uh, it's very subjective. Um, the Holy spirit is effectively taught or treated as though, um, basically he's, you know, the star Wars force, right. Um, rather than being, the third person of the Trinity. And, and so you get these kind of things. And so it does impact us. And we see from statements like this, I mean, you go on, I mean, there's some other ones you you can go down the list and um, we come to uh, let's see, 61% say that all religious faiths are of equal value. Let's just stop right there. Professing Christians are saying that Islam is of equal value to Christianity, then what was the point of Christ coming? What, what do we think it means when Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life? No one comes but through me, right? Um, yeah, that, that ties into, again, um, the, the belief that people are basically good, that you can trust your feelings, emotions, and input of friends. Um, it really, if you take that to its logical conclusion, then really faith is just about being connected to God. Um, and so all faiths are of equal value because everyone is good. It's just a matter of how they pursue God. Uh, well, and I told my congregation this, um, if you believe that all faiths are equal, if you believe that there are multiple paths to salvation, guess what? You're not really a Christian. Um, because just as you quoted John 14, 6, uh, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one, okay, no one comes to the Father except through yeah. me. So that that basically eliminates all other faiths aside from those who actually follow Christ. And talking about, um, again, when people think that uh, that man is basically good, Jeremiah 17, 9 says, the heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind, even give to each man according to his ways, according to the result of his deeds. So thankfully, the Lord knows our heart, um, and the Lord is is the one who understands that we need a new heart. That was part of the promise of the new covenant uh, given in Jeremiah uh, 31, verse 31 to, to 34. Um, but uh, also, when we think about the heart, Jesus in Mark chapter 7 talked about how all of the sins of our life, they flow out uh, of our hearts, right? Yeah. And, and uh, then at the end of Second Peter, Second um, Peter, Peter talks about how so many people are twisting and distorting Paul's writings just like they do the rest of Scripture, and they do so to their own uh, destruction. Um, well, that goes to show us, uh, as we were talking about moral absolutes, that goes to show us that the Scriptures are meant to be understood God's way, not, not yeah. in a subjective sense. And there is a way that you can twist and distort it, um, but it, it is all foundational upon what the Scriptures testify to us as man. Because if we as mankind do not understand our absolute need for God, then we can't get anything else right. Um, that that is absolutely foundational, and that's exactly what it's leading to. This idea that all religious faiths are of equal value, and just for that, sixty six percent say that faith matters more than which faith you pursue, which is kind of the same thing. Yeah. So, in other yeah. words, having some sort of faith is more important than which kind of faith that that you pursue. So, it it really grants itself to again a kind of mysticism, a kind of thing where you know what you can just trust your heart to guide you to the right place. Um, and, and what this tells me also is that at least this percentage of people don't share the gospel faithfully, um, yeah. because if they do share the gospel, it's certainly not that Jesus Christ is the only way. It's certainly not that if you reject this, you're going to go to hell, because that is part of the gospel. But if you think that all faiths are equal, then you can't give that message. You can't yeah. say that by rejecting Jesus Christ, um, you're going to face punishment. You can't refer to Psalm 212 that says to kiss the son lest he be angry and, and really destroy you in his wrath, right? Um, and you can't appeal to the truth that Scripture actually tells us. Because when Jesus Christ comes back, he's not coming back as a cute and loving, cuddly teddy bear. He's yeah. coming back as, as a warrior. He's coming yeah. back to judge and to wage war against all um, who have not taken refuge in him. Uh, and so the, the scriptures, once again, they are crystal clear 
Um, but what the church has allowed itself to do, it, it's allowed itself to kind of blend into the background with all other faiths with the motivation of pleasing man rather than pleasing God. Yeah. And it, it's no wonder that we have, I mean, if you look at the statistics and I don't have them uh, in front of me right now, uh, there is a growing population of professing believers who would even say that it is violence to share the gospel, right? That, that it's, actually, it's actually violence that you're doing to someone to share the gospel. It's not right. You shouldn't do it. Um, it you, you know, again, it, it just in the last two weeks, I've, I've had uh, someone comment on, on, I don't know, it was Twitter or Facebook, basically saying that you should only share the gospel if someone asks, right? Um, and, and so we see, we see these statistics. But, we're t- but we talk about the belief that, it, you know, if the majority of people believe that man is essentially good, uh, I just wonder what they do with the passages we've talked about, or what do you do with First uh, Corinthians six? And, and let me just read this from verse nine, right? Because he's describing what we once were, and how could anyone read this and come to the conclusion that well, man is basically good? He says this, and of course, so this is the Apostle Paul talking to believers at Corinth. He says, "Or do you not know, believer? Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God?" Do not be deceived. That's a good message for today. Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. That's pretty clear, right? And then he goes on to say, but most of you were essentially good, right? No, that's not what he says. He says, and such were some of you. You were just like these murderers, these swindlers, these sexually immoral. Um, and, but you were, and, and this is important, right? But you were washed. Well, if you're good, why do you need washed, right? And he says, you were sanctified. But if you're basically good, why do you really need to be sanctified? And then he says, you were justified. Well, we're justified and we're imputed the righteousness of Christ because we have no righteousness of our own to stand on, right? Um, And and so the scriptures are just full of these deep, rich truths that if we understand them rightly, it always points us to the goodness and grace of of Christ and the cross, what he accomplished at the cross. But if if you believe man is basically good, Really, you're diminishing the person and work of Christ, the very reason he came. In fact, you're diminishing the, the love of God because it's the love of God that sent Christ. Yeah, and, and just to add to that, I mean, amen to all that. Um, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. Hmm. And Paul refers to us both as sons of disobedience and children of wrath. All right, so that makes it very clear that we were not good, um, and God was the one that had to intercede. But let me read from Ephesians chapter 4, verse uh, 17. As Paul talks about, he commands us, and he commands us in multiple ways how we are to walk and not walk. But in 4.17, he says, So this I say and affirm together with the Lord, that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk, in the futility of their mind. Now, in this case, when he refers to Gentiles, he is talking about people prior to coming to know Christ. Verse 18, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart, and they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. Okay, so this is not a flattering picture of people that don't know Christ at all. I mean, this this is showing a very dreary picture. It's, it's showing that there is nothing good um, in mankind. But what Paul says next is very important. So after giving us this description of what we were like prior to knowing Christ, verse 20, he says, but you did not learn Christ in this way. Mm. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as the truth is in Jesus. And this reminds us, and this was part of my message from this past Sunday, the Great Commission 
uh, is not simply evangelizing. It is to make disciples, and of course, it includes evangelizing and baptizing. But the second part of that is to teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. Part of being a disciple of Jesus Christ, part of making mm. disciples of Jesus Christ, is to teach them not just the gospel itself, but also how they are to walk. And then talking about the gospel, you bring up a good point. I mean, there are a lot of people that want to water down the gospel, or they say the gospel is too offensive. Or we remember when there were uh, when there were rallies, uh, Black Lives Matter rallies uh, last year, there were some people saying, don't go to mm. these rallies with the goal of evangelizing. Go yep. to these rallies to identify with their hurt. Do not evangelize. Well, you're going to have a hard time um, finding that kind of pragmatism in the book of Acts when you see the apostles and especially Paul going out and, and sharing the gospel. They went wherever they could, and they spoke forth the, the, the truth. <clears throat> now, I understand, you know, when you're talking to someone, you, you're trying to develop rapport and looking for an opportunity to bring up spiritual truths. Um, that's what I do. I mean, I'll, I'll talk about maybe some some things that are more worldly in nature. How are you doing? What do you do is for your job and, and this and that. But I, I'm looking for ways to drive this towards a spiritual nature. And I'm certainly not waiting for them to give me permission to share the gospel. Um, so you won't find that in the scriptures. But the, the gospel, we have to remember, and, and this is this is what happens in every age. Um, this happens in, in the hearts of every man. They, they want to water down the gospel to make it less offensive. But when you do that, you start compromising on the very truth that they need. So yeah. they, they water it down in the name of love. And in the process, they take away the very truths that are the most loving that you need to deliver for them in order to accept Christ. Yeah, it's interesting. It, it, you know, if we think about and I always go back to the person of Christ and what the general response was, right? What did he preach and how did people respond? Um, and, and, and of course, because Jesus was perfect in every way, he was the most loving, the most kind, the most gentle, the, the most precise man that ever walked the earth. He, he did nothing wrong. And I think sometimes we, I mean, if you really dig down into what it means that he was perfect, it, 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 it quite literally means that there was never a conversation he had that could have or should have been different from his side, right? He responded in the most absolute perfect way. It was perfectly loving. It was perfectly just. It was perfectly right for the moment in the situation, right? And you just think about all of those intricate details and, and look at what he did and what he never did. What he did was confronted the sins of people, called for them to repent and believe, right? Um, and, and he didn't mince words with that. It was a clear presentation, and, and th that was perfectly loving, right? Um, and, and then look at what the response was. Well, the response was they crucified him, right? And this wasn't, I, I mean, this was large amounts of people that turned on Christ. I mean, you look at all the miracles that he did uh, when he fed the 5,000 and the 3,000 or, or whatnot, um, just, just men, right? Not counting the women and children that would have been there. They all left him. I mean, you see the one incident where he says, unless you uh, eat my body and drink my blood, you have no part in me. And everyone leaves except the apostles, right? And he turns and says, do you want to go too? And, you know, of course, there's the, well, wh where, do we, wh where do we go? Only you have the words of life. That was the right answer given by the Spirit of God through the, uh, the disciple there. Um, but that was the response of the people. They left and then they crucified him. And so why do we think that we need to adopt the world's ways to try to connect um, so that they won't be offended when Christ himself did quite the opposite. It, you know, and so, uh, of course, we're not saying that we should try to be offensive, but we just need to understand that confronting the wickedness of man is offensive, um, uh, you know, until the Holy Spirit regenerates us and we can respond in faith to the call of God on their lives. We shouldn't shrink back from that. If we really love people, we want them to know there is a hell. We want them to know that they are quickly on their way to hell um, and, and that God has come and made provision to be reconciled to himself. If we try to minimize that or make that more palatable, really, that's doing violence to the gospel itself. And, and you know, effectively you're saying, well, 
I know all the apostles did it this way. I know Jesus communicated this way. I know um, every prophet before called people to repent clearly. I mean, just think of, you know, um, goodness, his name slipping my mind at the, at the moment, but uh, it swallowed by the well, right? Jonah and Nineveh. Um, he didn't play around with that message, right? Uh, it right. was turn and repent of your wickedness. And, and of course, they did initially do that. Um, but how can we look and see all of um, the faithful men in scripture doing this way and then come to the conclusion in our age, you know what? I know that I, I know that God himself is man walking the earth and all his followers and all his prophets did it this way, but I just think that's a little too harsh. I, I just think the Bible's a little a little too harsh. God, you're a little too harsh. We ought to be yeah. really careful about that. Exactly. And, and that, I believe, is, is much of the reason why people turn to false gods in the Old Testament. Um, they, they, they believed, uh, they wanted to believe in a different kind of God rather than one who was holy um, and, and, to, and, and had a standard of, of goodness and righteousness that went against their own sinful tendencies. Um, I'm, I'm actually in the process of uh, reading a, a book that's um, pre-published. It hasn't been published yet. It's about to be published by Founders uh, Press, and it's called The Ancient Gospel by Evan Burns. And, and he really um, makes the argument um, that the gospel transcends all cultures. You know, we don't, uh, you know, of course, missionaries will go overseas. And, and of course, missionaries have the, the, the rightful concern of trying to understand the culture and the language and how people think. That's good and, and well. Um, but when you bring the gospel to them, don't make the mistake of thinking that the gospel only applies to our westernized culture. You know, especially when we consider that the people uh, of the scriptures um, actually came from a, a Middle Eastern culture, yeah. right? But if we if we trust that God is omniscient, meaning He knows all things, that He is all wise, and that we trust what Isaiah said that He declared the end from the beginning, meaning He knew everything even before it happened. He even invented time in which we see these things taking place. So if we understand that God knows all things and He never learns anything. Um, his his omniscience and wisdom is always perfect, um, then what makes you think that he would give us a gospel that has some sort of expiration date in terms of how we present it? Yeah. Um, th- that is a mistake. And, and you can go through church history and you will see that every example you have where the gospel ends up getting watered down, well, you're going to have a church that goes apostate. Um, and, and we can, I won't mention the denominations, but you can look around and just see them now all the churches that were once faithful, but now apostate because they have given themselves over to the thinking of man. They have tried to accommodate man's uh, ways of thinking and in so doing that you, you learn that you can't just give into a little bit of man-centric wisdom because once you give into a little bit, it turns into basically everything until it's no longer a recognizable Christian faith. And that's exactly what we see being reflected. Yeah. I mean, really, this proves that I think in our day, our greatest battle is against uh, an attack against the sufficiency of Scripture. And we hear that over and over and over again, right? And I mean, I mean even just the, the little short uh, book that I wrote is, it was to encourage people to come back to um, not just even saying that s- Scripture is sufficient, but living it as though it were. And <clears throat> yeah, and I think of, you know, so I've got pulled up here, uh, Jesus speaking in in uh, Matthew, and he says, do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. Now, this is, of course, while he's here, he's walking uh, on the earth amongst us. For I have come to set man against his father and daughter against his mother and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. And of course, he's, I mean, he's describing the, the effect of the, the gospel versus the world. Right, you you come to Christ, yeah. and those who don't know Christ, who are still fighting against God, become your enemy. Uh, we get this. I, I don't. I don't know. I guess where it's come from, but we have this idea of kind of um, you know the gospel should create this kind of kumbaya. Uh, everyone loves everyone. Pat everyone on the back, whether you believe or you don't believe. But that's just not true. Um, right? Unbelievers hate God just like we did before we came to Christ. Um, and, and so I, I, a lot of these statistics, I think, reflect the reality that these people just don't know who Jesus is. 
um, there. I Vody Bakum says it much more eloquently than I can. But, you know, I, I think he mentioned something to the fact of they're passionate about a Jesus that they barely know, um, or, or, which I think is true. Uh, uh, the majority of these people have an idea of a Jesus. It's just not the Jesus of the Bible. Right. And you can go on there. I mean, there are other statistics like 25 percent say there's no absolute moral truth. Right. If that's true, I mean, think of a, a quarter percent of 176 million professing believers that don't believe in absolute truth. And we talked about that. 30, here's one. 33 percent believe in karma. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, and, and, and brother, I, I think you're reading from um, one of the subset um, subsets of smaller groups. Um, on, on page two of that study, it, uh, it talks about the overall groups of everyone that considers themselves Christians. And it's actually 57% that believe in karma, 52% that, uh, that claim that determining moral truth is up to each individual, meaning there is no moral absolutes. Now, further on, they start to break down into a smaller Yeah, group. this is the breakdown. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, this is a smaller group. So, the, the percentage is actually even higher. Yeah. And when you talk about karma, what is karma? That comes from Hinduism. Uh, that's, that's the idea of what goes around comes around. And we can affirm that in a sense, but not in this world. We, we can affirm that in the sense that everything that is an affront to God, anything that is done in rebellion to God, anything that is a sin before God will be punished. For us as Christians, it was punished uh, upon that the punishment was given to his son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. And for those who reject Jesus Christ, they will bear that punishment for all eternity in the lake of fire. Um, the, the idea of karma is that somehow it's, it's really kind of focused on this world, that uh, whatever good you do is going to come back to the good back to you. If you do evil, it's going to come back as evil to you. But we already know in this world, if you just limit your, your sights on this world, this was the whole reason why Solomon wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. Uh, he said he's looking around and he, and he calls yeah. everything vanity of vanities because because you, you don't know what's coming up, up after this life. There is no real justice. Um, people are oppressed um, and and it happens unfairly. And and so he, he's looking beyond the current life and, and saying that it's vanity because he doesn't know what's going to come up after this life. And then he comes to the conclusion that, look, all you, I can tell you is to fear God and to obey his commandments. Right. Um, so the. the these ideas, karma, obviously, you're not going to find that word taught in scripture. You're not going to, and, and if you traced it back to its origins, this is just more proof of what we saw earlier, that people believe that all religious faiths are of an equal value, that we can just take a term that came from another faith and import it into Christianity and think that we're being Christian. Yeah, I mean, that really, pragmatism does that same thing, right? We just Christianize worldly ideas, worldly, you know, um, and, and this is just sort of the same thing without Christianizing it. If you wanted to Christianize it, which, by the way, happens a lot in the charismatic Pentecostal church, instead of saying karma, because maybe they wouldn't want to say that, they, they, would, they would substitute the understanding of karma with sowing and reaping. But you can't do that because it, it's not the same thing. Um, and, and absolutely. So we get through all of these things. And I, I think it, I'm, I'm concerned because I don't see that these statistics are going to get better in the near future. No. I think we're going to, in the near future, I think we'll find they continue to grow in the, in the wrong direction. Now, you know, personally, if things in the U.S. continue the way they have been, I think we'll reach a point where fewer and fewer people start saying they're Christian. Um, in all honesty, I prefer that. You know, if you want to believe in Hinduism, to stop saying you're a Christian. If you don't believe in the person of the Holy Spirit, then don't say you're Christian. Um, uh, if you believe that your feelings are, you know, uh, greater truth than Scripture, then just don't call yourself Christian. Um, but I don't think we're there yet. And so um, I think the book of Jude is a good book for everyone to read through right now. Um, you know, Jude is a call primarily to contend for the faith. But in the midst of Jude, right, what you find is he's constantly reminding people of known apostates, of known false teachers. Um, and, and he's saying, remember, right? And, and remember so that you don't fall into the same uh, uh, apostasies, right? Remember, so you don't fall into the error of Cain, so you don't fall into uh, the error of Balaam, so you don't fall into these things. 
Um, but you've got to be reading your Bible uh, to know these, to know these truths, to know these stories. Um, of course, today we have another big issue. For the last year or so, we've had lots of churches that have just been closed down. Um, and I've, I've come across a few this week who are still closed. Now we're almost, well, we're a full year and some months, right? Um, still closed. E- even in the community that I'm in, there's some churches that are still doing online stuff. Now, praise God for that. If God's gracious to our community, they'll just shut down. But um, yeah, if you're not plugged into a church, sitting under the teaching and preaching uh, weekly and reading your Bible, then this is what you naturally lean towards, right? Because you never drift towards godliness, towards holiness, towards faithfulness. Right. Yeah. Uh, we, like, like, like dying embers in a fire, you remove a coal and it doesn't get hotter. It, it burns cold, right? And, and we're no different in the faith in that way. Yeah, our mind needs to be constantly renewed. I mean, Ephesians 22 to 24 talks about putting off the old self, and 24 talks about putting on the new self created in righteousness in Christ Jesus. But in between verses 22 and 24, 23 says to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And in Romans chapter 12, um, verse 2 talks about a similar kind of renewal. Do not be transformed um, by this world, but be continually uh, be uh, conformed, or I might be mixing up those words, but to be be conformed or transformed by the renewing of your mind in, in the yeah. right way. Um, and, and I think of, you know, you mentioned examples of in the scriptures where people are warning against uh, false teachers. And, you know, Christians today, a lot of, a lot of people who call themselves Christians, um, kind of, um, they, they kind of sneer their nose or, or they give you a big thumbs down at confronting error in the church saying, well, that's not Christian like that's, that's not loving. Well, in the New Testament, when you get, start reading in the Gospels and then you head towards the end, um, you start to see more and more warnings against false teachers, not less and less. Yeah. And I think about the final letter that uh, Paul wrote to Timothy, that's Second Timothy, Paul thinks he's about to die. There's a bunch of commandments throughout the scriptures that, uh, that really call for Timothy to be faithful. Um, but the command that he gives the greatest emphasis to is found in chapter 4, verse 1, when he says, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is mm. to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom. And he doesn't even give the commandment yet. He, he's giving this big run-up to the commandment to say, I solemnly charge you. And he's telling Timothy, this is in the presence of God, and not just God, but also Christ Jesus. And remember that Jesus is the one who's going to judge the living and the dead by his appearing and his kingdom. So he's giving this big run-up in order to say, Timothy, this is the command. If you're going to remember one command, remember this one. Verse 2, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction, for the time will come when they will not endure mm. sound doctrine. <clears throat> yeah. And, and yeah. this is the failure of the church today. And I agree with you. If people are going to say they believe in these things, I've had um, young men um, in my office here at church where you know, they have claimed to be a Christian since they were a kid, but then go on to say that they believe that there's good truth in a lot of different walks and different faiths. And, and I, I just said to him point blank, I explained the gospel to him first, but after explaining the gospel to him, I, I said, look, um, if you don't believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven, you were never a Christian. Hmm. And I think it's important that that may sound unloving, but actually I think that's the most loving thing you can do for someone who is deceived. Take them yeah. out of that mindset so that they don't start to think, they, they don't think wrongly um, that, uh, that, that they're actually Christians when they're, when they're not. That's like the worst place to be in, to be comfortable with your spirituality, not knowing that uh, you're headed to hell. And, and that, I believe, is the principle behind Matthew chapter 7, verse 13, when he talks about the wide and narrow gates, right? The yeah. majority yeah. of the people are on the, the wide gate to destruction, and very few find the, the gate that actually leads to life. And that's immediately followed by Jesus' warning against false prophets. Um, you shall know them by their fruit. Um, and then he goes on to say, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. So we see these warnings all throughout scripture. And we see that at the end of the Apostle Paul's life, his greatest concern for his predecessor, his, um, the one who would succeed him, sorry, his successor yeah. in the faith, uh, Timothy, his greatest concern for him is that he would preach the word and preach the word faithfully. 
Yeah, that's a good point. And, it, you know, you think so. We believe Paul was in the Mamertine prison when he writes Second Timothy. And I mean, you, you can look up the it, it, it's a horrible description of where he's at. And you would think, right, that whatever the apostle is about to write is going to be the most important thing he can think of, right? This is his life is ending. I, I sort of think of Second Timothy as his last will and testament, right? And of all the things he could say, right, he encourages Timothy to be faithful in preaching the word and warning him. Um, it, it, you know, you go on and in Second Timothy chapter three, uh, the apostle Paul talks about evil men and imposters, how they'll proceed from being bad to even worse, yeah. right? So if you don't like the language that that we like that that we use as preachers, because we're typically, I at least my tendency is not to be even quite as blunt and bold as Paul. Uh, I, I wish that I could be, um, but he just didn't mince words, right? He says, but evil men and imposters will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Now, that's important, right? They, they are, because uh, I, I hear the argument sometimes, well, they're just deceived, right? But there's no excuse for that. And Paul doesn't give any excuse for that. They're, they deceive others and they're deceived. But then he goes on to say, you know, you, Timothy, you, however, continue in these things you've learned and become convinced of knowing from whom you've learned them. Yeah. And of course, we get to the end here, 16. And I mean, this is incredibly important. All scripture is inspired by God, right? Literally breathed out by God. And, and so I think we oftentimes have the tendency to forget the very high value of the Bible. It's not just another book. It's, not, it's, a, it's a book unlike any other book because it was breathed out by God himself. You know, we would take it quite seriously if you're sitting at your desk and all of a sudden words just appeared on your paper and it was words from God. Well, one person had that, you know, Moses, but um, on a tablet. But, uh, but that's what the Bible is. It's, it's words that were so important. God deemed necessary to put it in black and white for us to be preserved for all of time. Um, I just don't know that we have that high view of scripture. Right. So, he, so he says, all scriptures inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate. And I, I don't remember what the Greek word is for adequate there, but that it's not the English, it's not the way we right. use the English word adequate. It means complete, full with uh, with nothing lacking right so we might use the word he's adequate for the job just simply meaning he, he's good enough for the job yeah. but that's not what this word means it it means that here the scripture is wholly sufficient to make the man of god what he needs to be equipped for every good work god's called him to um yeah. and, and so we need to be living in the word of God. And clearly, you know, a majority of professing Christians are just very, very far from that. Yeah, that, uh, that phrase, equipped for every good work, I mean, that, that really describes what the scriptures mean by adequate, complete, that you are equipped for every good work that God has called you to. And those two verses that starts off with all scriptures, God breathed and profitable for all of these things, so that the man of God may be equipped for every good work, that, that ends up being the basis for the command that Paul would give, because the very next verse is chapter 4, verse 1, yep. where Paul again says, I solemnly charge you to preach the word. So on the basis that all scripture is God breathed and profitable in order to equip the man to, to be equipped for every good work. It, on that basis, you are to just preach the word and then preach the word in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction, recognizing that the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. And unfortunately, that is what has happened in America. <clears throat> now, here's the thing. We look at someone like a Joel Osteen. And I think it's on this basis that Paul Washer once made the statement that he's not as concerned about Joel Osteen because those who have any kind of discernment from the scriptures will recognize that he's not preaching the Bible. Um, Joel Osteen um, and many who are like him are really a form of judgment upon those who are seeking after teachers to tickle their own ears. And so just by nature, we're going to have a lot of churches 
um, that are oriented towards tickling the ears of people that want to hear what they want to hear rather than what they need to hear uh, from the scriptures. Um, but the true churches, um, the ones who trust God and, and really um, trust that the scriptures are his word, understands that this is our gold standard of truth. We can't deviate from it. And this is how we equip the flock for the work of service. That's Ephesians chapter 4, verse 12, that everyone, all the saints may be equipped for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. Yeah, amen. Uh, I agree with all of that. You know, uh, we're getting close to the end here. I, I, I want to end on a statement that the Apostle Paul makes. If we can't come to um, an, an agreement on this statement with Paul, then there's some serious lack in our spiritual life. And it's very simply this. He says in Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. The American church has become ashamed of the gospel. It it just comes down to that. And he goes on to tell you why he's not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes. Singular. There's no other way. It's it alone is the only way. And if we can't, you know, we've got to be in agreement with that and our lives have to display that. And so, it, you know, like you said earlier, it doesn't mean that when we engage people in conversation, look, we're human beings. We live on this earth. We have that common in common. Um, it, you know, we, we do, quote, you know, quote unquote, worldly things. We've got to go shopping. We buy coffee, all that sort of thing. Um, and it doesn't mean that we don't engage in those uh, points of contact with people, but it, it does mean that our goal and desire ought to be to move the conversation at some stage, you know, whatever that time frame looks like, to the truths of the gospel, and that we not be ashamed to proclaim the true gospel. And then we just have to realize that they hated Christ because he brought the gospel. He was the gospel. And if we're followers of Christ, they're going the world is going to hate us as well, and we just can't worry about that, right? We have an audience to worry about, and it's God. I, I think you reference what I believe is one of the scariest passages in Scripture. I mean, we could say that about a few, but in the end, uh, you know, Christ says that many will come to him on that day and say, Lord, Lord, did we not just look at that list yeah. of what's there? It's frightening, because they did all kind of works for God, all kind of things that if you were to look at a person's life outwardly and see someone doing all these wonderful works of God, you may not even question, right, who they are. But in the end, Jesus' words, terrifying. Depart from me, I never knew you. I never knew you. Um, and and that it, it's frightening, and I think that America, you know, is going to be in shock when many of us meet the Lord in that day. And so, we need to get into a healthy… So, how do we avoid these kind of things, right? That's a good question. What Someone asked, uh, you know, Pastor Eki, um, man, I, I, I don't want to fall into the trap of believing these things. What can I do uh, to guard myself? What can I do to grow spiritually? What, what would you recommend? Well, I mean, first of all, to remind yourself what the gospel is <clears throat> and, and to know the gospel for, for, the, for all of its truth that it conveys, not the watered-down gospel of the world, but to recognize that we are sinners. Um, we, are, uh, we, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. We walked after the course of this world, after the prince of the power of the air, prince of the power of the air, referring to Satan. Um, and, and we really did it just by following after the uh, lusts of our flesh and, and of our mind. Um, that, that was really what we were before. And without Jesus Christ coming into the world to die on the cross for our sins, we have no hope because we stand guilty before God. Uh, we can never justify ourselves um, by our own works. That is absolutely impossible. That's the whole argument from Romans chapter 1 to, to chapter 3, um, that um, our works lead us uh, to, to nothing but, but hell. Um, so we needed Jesus Christ to come and die on the cross. Remind yourself of that truth. But remind yourself also that our walk and, and the task that God has given us did not end with merely evangelism. The central call to the church is to make disciples. Um, that does start with evangelism when it comes to the lost, but it also means to teach them to observe all that Jesus has commanded. But that also means that we ourselves 
our models to them of what that means to observe all he has commanded. Um, and the only way we can do that is to go into the scriptures. We're reading the scriptures. We're seeking to understand what it says, not what we want it to say. Okay, so we under we read it in context. We apply it to ourselves. Um, and, and if you believe the true gospel, because, you know, I, I know a lot of people struggle with uh, whether they are truly in the faith or not. I, I just saw a young lady earlier this week talk about how she's struggling with doubt. And typically, the first thing I tell people is that the proof of your faith starts with what you truly believe. Um, if you truly believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, um, and that he came to die on the cross and was resurrected on the third day, um, that is the basis uh, of salvation. Salvation is by faith in those things, but that faith is not just a cheap intellectual faith. That faith is a commitment to repent of your former manner of life, and now you are following um, after Christ as your Lord and your authority. Um, so if you do that, if you remind yourself of the gospel truths that we are, de- and you remind yourself that we are dependent upon him and we must continue to grow in him, um, you're, you will be on a good path. You will not uh, find, your, find yourself as one of these people hearing from Jesus, depart from me, you workers of lawlessness, because you would have devoted yourself to believing in the truth of Christ and believing and, and following in the truth that he has given to us in the form of commandments. Yeah, amen. And and then make sure you're in a healthy church. You yes. know, if your church is um, teaching, you know, Joel Osteen kind of stuff, find another church. And, you know, no preacher likes to tell people to leave their church because church hopping is not something we should be doing. But if your church needs to be committed to the plain gospel, um, you know, and so get into a healthy biblical church. There are tons of resources you can look out, you can look for out there that give lists of, of, you know, proven churches. So we won't do that here. Um, and get into the word. You know, I find that the majority of believers do not spend time in the word of God outside of Sunday or Wednesday night. So if that's you, um, then start as a spiritual habit. I, you know, you don't have to read an hour every morning, right? If you're not accustomed to reading the Bible, take five minutes, take 10 minutes, read a couple sentences. Well, whatever it is you decide, you know, don't hold on to some legalistic formula. The point is that you develop a love for being in the Word of God um, and you just start there and pray. You know, I think, I, you know, a lot of times in our circles, in our theological circles, we kind of forget the power of prayer because it seems a bit mystical or whatnot. But folks, you can't have the Christian life without a life of prayer. Pray that God would give you a a, a deeper heart. Pray that God would increase your fear of him. Pray that God would uh, give you a greater love for the body of Christ. I mean, this is what the Holy Spirit does in us. This is sanctification. Um, and, and so, develop a genuine prayer life. And again, there's lots of resources on those things out there. So, guys, uh, we hope that this podcast has been a blessing to you. Um, now, look, it is about the middle of September, and so we have some exciting news. We've been posting it. Uh, Eki and I are going to be at the G3 as one of the exhibitors, um, the Truth Be Known podcast there. So come stop by our table, say hello. We'd love to meet a bunch of you guys, um, you, you know, especially Eki. Now, if someone can bring Eki one of those bear suits uh, to fit that <laughs> meme, that would be pretty awesome. Um, and maybe some pizza. You know, we both have pizza. Yeah, 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 the pizza, the pizza, not the bear suit. <laughs> I mean, I kind of like to see Eki in a bear suit. But anyway, I look like a bear already. So uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, look, we, we'd love to meet you guys. Uh, be a good opportunity. Uh, so if you're there at the G3, pop by the table, say hello. And uh, maybe we'll do a, 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 a live episode or, or two there or something. But we'll see. Anyway, we love you guys. We thank you. Hope this has been edifying. So until next time, let the truth be known. The Truth Be Known podcast is a theologically driven, gospel-centered program serving the body of Christ by bringing biblical truth to bear on issues facing the church today. Subscribe to the Truth Be Known podcast by using the podcast app on your Apple or Android device or listen online at strivingforeternity.org in the podcast section.